ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಸೊ ವಿ ಡೂಯಿಂಗ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಡಾಟ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ಟೀನ್ ಟು ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಟುಡೇ ಅಂಡ್ ಎನಿವನ್ ವಾಂಟ್ಸ್ ಟು ಟ್ರೈ ಚಾಂಟಿಂಗ್ Do you want to try? Hey, no, man. I haven't learned uh, uh, chanting, uh, Guntax. Okay, so. okay. Let me go then. Let me go. Okay. 6.16 to 20. Nathyashnatastu yogosti Nachaikantamanashnataha Nachatiswapnashilasya ಜಾಗ್ರತೋನೈವಾರ್ಜುನ ಯುಕ್ತಾರವಿಹಾರಸ್ಯುಕ್ತಚೇಷ್ಟಸ್ಯಕರ್ಮಸುಕ್ತಸ್ವಪ್ನಾವಬೋಧಸ್ಯೋ
shut what is the problem we sleep off so you know that intermediate state is probably a little better uh, and then basically not looking around and not getting influenced by what's happening from the sense organs tranquil in the mind and fearless and uh, uh, practicing brahmacharyam i think we talked about the word brahmacharyam there uh, uh, in 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 the last satsang and uh, so that's the uh, position in which you sit down and then concentrating the mind the yogi uh, with with the, with his mind control attains the peace culminating in the final beatitude in the form abiding in me that's what it says right and uh, so basically at the end of the day you know you got to sit straight clean clean place and which a seat which is firm and then finally concentrating the mind and the purpose is to purify the mind that's the uh, that's the thing with, with meditation so it's very clear that uh, meditation is not going to give us salvation it's going to help us in the purification of the mind so i'm going to stop there so any uh, anyone wants to add from our last satsang please do and then we can continue with the the 6.16 onwards good thanks i was not uh, i was not present for those sessions but what was the conclusion on the uh, the kind of uh, mat you need to use the deer skin the cloth over it and all that what was the yeah the what we discussed was that you know kushagras and deer skin deer skin um, you know we discussed a little bit about the properties of kushagras and basically it's the one which uh, that we use you know during this eclipse time if if you notice we darba darba grass that is kushagras basically that is only kushagras yeah, that is kushagras okay. Okay. okay and uh, uh, deer skin was you know appropriate at a time when this uh, bhagavad gita was narrated to krishna uh, by krishna to arjuna but in the current context it is not necessary so what we need to do is we need to have a non conducting mat so something like a uh, like a mat what you normally get in south india right which which is not plastic which is i mean these days you get a lot of plastic stuff but mm. the one that that's made out of straw that one you can use it and uh, you can put a, a sort of a cloth on top of it some cloth on top of it and then sit down on it and usually you know if i if I, for example if i'm in a hotel room or something where i need to meditate what i do is i i take uh, any old newspaper put it down and put one of those hand towels and sit on top of it that's what i do in the hotels at home i have a setup so i'm okay you also said the yoga mats is good right what the yoga mats that you buy can buy today that yeah you can you can buy the you can use the yoga mats too yoga mats are pretty oh, okay good. yeah okay yoga mats are not straw no they are uh, they are some form of rubber yeah that's okay. i think that's that should be okay all right the characteristics is insulation 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 yeah. from the and, oh. yeah and okay. i i just to share with you i i use a small gaddi so that there is a little soft uh, basically pillow uh, right. as well so i generally have yoga mat and then top of that gaddi and yeah. that's pretty much it yeah same here right i use the yoga mat and the meditation pillow for some reason i just need a little bit of height where i sit Uh, I don't know. Even in um, at least back gr- growing up, when when the uh, priests come home, they they usually bring this. We call it palagai, right? Uh, yes. a, similar to that. I mean, I I just need that little about 
makes it much more comfortable than sitting completely flat on the ground. Just two inches, two inches above the yeah. ground. Yeah. yeah. The meditation pillow just definitely helps me. Yeah. Yeah. But I just use it because otherwise I start getting uh, uncomfortable in my bumps. Understood. I get shifty otherwise. Yeah. No, basically, I think whatever works for for your for your constitution, yeah. I think you should just go ahead and do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think to just to add to that, we also discussed a little bit from Yoga Sutras. I'm just looking at it here. Um, uh, basically, asanam in this particular context, it says stiras sukham asanam, right? So steadiness and comfort characterize your yoga posture, right? So whatever creates that. Uh, for each of us, right? And along with obviously taking the uh, um, the other things that have been said here. So um, just mentioning that. I think that um, Kishore, that Patanjali Yoga Sutra's book you referred, the Kindle version is not available in India, man. Ooh, I, it is not? The Kindle version is not. The, bound, the paperback is uh, available, definitely. Uh, I think I'll ask my daughter to buy it. And, uh, no, no, Uday, Uday. Patanjali Yoga Sutras, I'll show you the book. Let me take a minute and walk to my library and get it. Get the one which is uh, by Ramakrishna Bhatt. Okay. The, and uh, the thicker version is uh, thicker version is what Kishore is talking about. But try to get the one which is from Ramakrishna Mart. It's a very small thing, you know. Each each thing, it's not as as extensive as uh, you know, like like the commentaries are not as extensive as like what the Gita book uh, is. But there's okay. a smaller version of it, and uh, especially when you browse through it, you will get a very good flow. You know, you'll form a bigger picture of what the thing says, and then you can go to the book yeah. that shows it. And there's one more uh, which is also um, available on Kindle. I think it's by Swami Satchidananda, who is also um, part of the same lineage, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, a, a student of Dayanand Saraswati and uh, Satchidananda. Um, that's available on Kindle. Yeah. That's that, that's a good one too, uh, to get uh, the bigger picture. Okay. okay. Uh, the reason why I state that is, you know, unless until you make it like a dedicated quote-unquote, like a study for some time, right? The Yoga Sutras will be pretty confusing to read. If you read it a little bit and then head off to somewhere else and do something else, you lose lose track of what you've been studying and you will not be able to get a hang of it. Okay. There, there are actually two parts to the Yoga Sutras. Kishore, correct me if I'm wrong. One is called Samadhi Pada, one is called Sadhana Pada. It's four, actually. And, but uh, um, uh, the Vedantic teachers who teach Yoga Sutras only teach the first two. The last one, Kaivalyapada, is their philosophy, right? And um, obviously, the philosophy, they don't agree. <laughs> you know, the teachers don't agree, so they don't teach that. And the third one is about um, the, the, uh, all the siddhis that you, can, you might encounter along the way. And uh, so even that, they usually don't talk much about. Though, um, so it's the first two where Ashtanga Yoga and uh, the whole... Um, uh, the crux of the matter is in the first two. If you're looking for yoga, sutra, yoga as a way to uh, for sadhana chatushtha. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Let's move on to sixteen to twenty. 
So in 16, clearly, I think Bhagwan is asking us to, you know, be moderate. Moderate. In, and I, I, think, I think we discussed this, right? The quality of our meditation, 30 minutes of meditation depends on how the rest 23 and a half hours go. And whether we like it or not, the rest 23 and a half hours goes in a lot of thinking and doing related to food and what we eat and what we drink. That's the reality of it. Yeah, uh, it's a moderate uh, regulated life. Um, there, even though it mentions uh, eating here, sleeping and eating, um, the other aspect of it, uh, if you look at eating, is, well, you can take it literally, that is also true. Uh, there is also um, ahara in terms of all the sense organs, right? You know, eating is obviously one sense organ uh, for taste, but then the same thing for how much we, let's say, watch television or, or consume information from mobile devices uh, or uh, uh, listen to music. It could be everything, right? So moderation is the key, key part there. Um, and, and sleep and uh, waking up state is uh, obviously also related to the, the gunas, right? I mean, too much sleep can result in making us too tamasic um, and uh, uh, too much work and not enough sleep can result in making us too rajasic, right? We, we, are, we are constantly running about. And uh, the idea is to become more sattvic to enable us to move to the next level, right? And to... Um, so yeah, it, it can also be seen from that angle. I think it ties back pretty well into the mental model what uh, in the early, early introductory pages, <coughs> pages of the book, Swami Chinman and the rights, right? In terms of how the external inputs come in and then you have the sense organs which take in and then they are the mind, intellect, and then memory. And uh, you know, that model, that mental model, it ties in pretty well into this shloka, actually. So as I was reading this, uh, these pages, right, one of the things that struck me was the difference between some spiritual practices, um, some extreme spiritual practices, especially uh, and I keep hearing about uh, some of these old uh, uh, practices where people, uh, you know, torment their own body, right, in terms of self-flagellation or, uh, you know, poking their body with some... Uh, some sharp instrument or something like that and all those kind of things those are all pretty um, maybe applicable in some some sects of to follow but uh, i guess that krishna is not recommending those things at all completely so he's just saying you know live a normal life a life of moderation and uh, uh, if you want to start meditating that's what it says A simple way I've I've found uh, uh, is you know to basically watch everything that we do through the day, um, and to watch out for anything that's too tamasic or too rajasic, right? uh, like engaging in, I mean, in in terms of in too much activities, too much 
around people like too much when I say that, you know, uh, just to be aware of it on what if impact it might have on us. Um, and to, um, again, uh, amount of sleep, amount of food we take um, and just watch ourselves, watch our, um, at the end of the day, at least, uh, to see, hey, how, how was it that whole day, right? I mean, engaging in too much uh, talk, now, you know, all of that put together, I think gives us a fairly good idea. Where are we spending most of the time? Is it mostly tamasic? Is it mostly rajasic is what I meant? Or is it how much of it is tamasic and so on, right? I, and then bringing it back and fine tuning it so that um, what are those sattvic activities that we can introduce through the day, right? I mean, I, I've been trying to do that, um, just sharing it. Um, and it really, uh, you can see the, the benefits and the impact um, very, very quickly. Like in, even in a few days, you can see it because the, the sattva energy is very, very different. Uh, it is not the energy that you get, get from um, uh, drinking caffeine or, or caffeinate, anything like that, or food for that matter. And the sattva energy is, um, in some ways, it's, it transcends that, right? It, it gives you a different type of, both creative energy, you just feel it, um, feel the difference. And you can also feel tamas in a different way by watching too much or a TV or whatever. You can see how it drags you down. Um, so just by observing, we can um, see what, which is it that we want, what is it that we want to do, right? I mean, how do we want to spend that time? So I, I think it becomes very clear. That's a, that's a very good point, Kishore. Um, I think I don't do it, but I, I, whenever I remember, I try to uh, sort of focus on the things you are just talking about. And I, I do agree that it does make a difference. But it's very hard during our busy days to keep coming back to it and trying to uh, sort of almost self-modulate yourself. Right. And in our stage of life, I think it's most, mostly to watch out for too much rajas, right? Um, because many of us uh, are probably like involved in something during the day and we probably um, don't give ourselves enough time uh, on a daily basis. But let's say for somebody else uh, who is, um, you know, who's our parents' age and whatnot, they, for them, it would be also important to watch out for, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, as you know, the, uh, especially parents, they tend to watch a lot of TV or series, uh, TV series and whatnot. Um, you know, it, it is beneficial to watch out for that. How much time are they spending on it and when, right? Um, yeah, because all of these things play a part. I mean, that's, a, that's a reality. Uh, so I had a question. I uh, Swamiji used uh, this term Brahmakar Vritti, and I think we have talked about it in the past. But uh, if uh, someone can explain that a little bit more in detail, I uh, because he just made it a reference and he didn't really elaborate a whole lot. Uh, but I'll be curious to hear you know, how to think about that. Where 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 does it come up in the shlokas? 
Oh yeah, okay. I saw. I see this in uh, nineteen, right? Oh, nineteen, not nineteen. Oh, I, but uh, maybe it, it comes was, later. Well, see, it comes later because he has clubbed three or four shlokas. So I read all of those because his commentary. Uh, yeah. goes no, no, it's there in nineteen. Uh, it's there in nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. It's in nineteen. Constant flow of Brahma Oh, okay. Oh, he. Oh, it talks about in the not in the. Okay, it's not in the sloka itself, but not in the sloka yeah. in the commentary. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, a. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Ajesh. So let uh, here is how I understand, right? Like. For example, I think we talked about the other day when we were having uh, uh, the discussion on the previous set of slokas in terms of uh, uh, aid for aid for meditation for for dhyana, which is which can be anything. It can be I think somebody mentioned I think maybe it was you Kishore or maybe Krishna saying that you can even say one 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 two 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 and keep on meditating, and that's also okay and all that. But then what happens is that the mind becomes. Uh, 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 mind becomes latched on to a particular thought that you train it to get attached to. So, for example, if you have a mean, meaningless thought, let's say like you know, one, 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 let's say it's just a meaningless or, or some arbit, arbit uh, word or sentence which has no relevance, um, uh, meaning behind it, then uh, the mind, you know, mind can get concentrated, but for what purpose it is getting concentrated, it doesn't know. Then uh, after some time, it will lose that enthusiasm to go and continue on that pursuit because there is no meaning associated to it. It's, it's just because mechanical. Now, co contradicting that, uh, contrasting that to uh, a Brahmakara Vritti. Brahmakara Vritti means, you know, a thought which, which determines, uh, which tells the mind uh, who you truly are, right? For example, Aham Brahmasmi is a Brahmakara Vritti, okay? Okay. Uh, then, uh, you know, in Sandhyavadanam, for example, it says, Asavadityo Brahma, Sahamasmi. So, that's that, that, uh, Asmi, I don't need to translate, everyone knows that. Uh, Asavadityo Brahma, Sahamasmi means uh, that sun which I see is you, Brahman. And the second part of the sentence, Sahamasmi, is very important, which says that that is me as well. Okay. So now when you're sitting down in the, in the seat of meditation and, you know, meditating on, uh, let's say, Aham Brahmasmi or, or, uh, or even Asavaditya uh, Brahma Sahamasmi, what you're trying to train your mind, and I'm again repeating the words much more carefully here, you're tra trying to train your mind saying that you are not the body, you're not the mind, okay? And you're not the intellect, you're not the memories, and you are basically that Brahman, that pure Chit the consciousness that you are and it's a pretty hard thing because you know intellectually you know you can grasp it but your mind may not accept it that easily and for the mind to accept it it has to be only on one uh, one uh, one track all the time right and that's that's what you're trading in the seat of meditation you know 20 minutes 30 minutes when you sit down especially the vedantic meditation Vedantic meditation will take you through a process of calming your body, calming your mind and all that stuff. And then finally, it will lead you to a state where it will try to create that unity in the entire diversity that you see. And that's that's what is a Brahmakara Vritti. Because then Brahmakara Vritti means, you know, there are two things that are happening, right? Like 
you can you can say that you are brahman you can keep repeating that you are brahman but you may not believe in that and over a period of time you will you will start you know your mind is molded in that way that's one part of it second part of it you may still see the duality in the world like you know you can think that you are brahman but you can still see the entire world okay but then you may think that oh, the entire world is not brahman that's a second second problem that could come up with and but then the point is you have to mm-hmm. say you are brahman and the entire world is also me and then that ikyam just goes off uh, comes comes to comes together very nicely so that takes training over a period of time or thank you so nagesh um, uh, regarding regarding the mantra and i think it was uh, krishna who pointed out that there are people who say hey you know what it they do all this uh, analysis on people who on uh, people who meditate and then they give them instead of a mantra they just give them something right like as you said one two three or whatever and then they put uh, they put all those uh, probes to see whether it's the same thing and the, the, uh, they came to the conclusion that it's it is similar right but <laughs> um actually I, i have this book right i mean this is the one that i, I was uh, recommending earlier So here Swamiji uh, he talks about that he goes into that he, without mentioning uh, TM he actually talks about TM also um saying okay the the idea being if there is a value attached to the mantra now the value could be in terms of the mantra could be your ishta devata that could be one way in which you add value another way would be uh, in in like in TM um you have to pay money right um and most people will not agree and i i am certainly on that camp but then when you pay money for something there is value attached to it that's one thing and then he also gives another example of a of a um um a student who kept asking for a mantra to his teacher and the teacher didn't give it to him for 12 years right he constantly kept asking asking and then at the end of 12 years he gave him the mantra and it was it was one of the sim- the simpler ones right but then he waited for 12 years to get that mantra and hence the value for that mantra is a, a lot so by giving that you've given power to the mantra and you've um and for you that value is a lot more so now if the value is high then in meditation it is able to focus on that because you have you have attached a, a significant value to it so in meditation the wandering of the mind will be reduced and it can stick to that one mantra for a longer period of time I think what you said which is to contemplate on the on the self um, to give it a higher level of quality uh, for that mantra along with that uh, in the initial stages it is good to be able to give that value uh, to that mantra right so there is that and obviously uh, the mantras are all in sanskrit there is all these words have certain um, impact as well which we may or may not understand it fully yet but that is the uh, other part by that by repeating that it's going to give us more tranquility in the mind right so um yeah just those two points as well i just wanted to add but that that's very nicely explained kishor i like i like what you said because there has to be a value to the mantra and that's that's what makes the meaning i mean if you if you think about it you know aham brahmasmi you can pick from any book or om namah shivaya you can pick up from any book but the moment you understand what aham brahmasmi is by going through let's say the 18 chapters of gita the meaning for it actually becomes much more significant for you as an individual and then 
then when you Absolutely. contemplate on the particular meaning, the value of that starts coming up in your life. That's number one. And number two is uh, um, when you look at even, let's say, you know, Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya, basically, it's just a simple mantra which everybody can use and all that stuff. But the moment you understand that, you know, what is this Panchashloki, you know, Pancha, Panchakshara mantra, or Namaha Shivaya, what does that mean? You know, and what is the story behind that whole thing? How is it, how is it that form? Then when you read that particular um, uh, story of that, which talks about it's nothing but Om is nothing but, you know, the the five elements and Om itself is Brahman. That's what it says. And when you understand that concept, then, you know, it really does not matter what, what, what uh, mantra you use, as long as the meaning for the mantra is understood by you. And when you are keeping that in the back of your mind. Absolutely. And also I think... Uh... <clears throat> This whole thing, you can chant anything and it's the same effect. I think that's really rudimentary. Uh, Sanskrit also, you know, is vibrational, right? So when you say Om, it's not just you're, not you're listening, but it also creates a certain energy, right? I think uh, uh, that's where I, I believe the, you know, even the a lot of the Indian traditional music, right? Carnatic music, all of that. Even they can become a technique to enlightenment because they invoke a certain part of the brain and the vibration uh, that can lead you to the higher consciousness. Versus, you know, like you can listen to rock music and, you know, that will be more rajasic, uh, more, you know, I mean, that will just, that will stimulate part of the energy that will more rajasic and uh, sexual and aggressiveness. Versus, you know, you listen to uh, Carnatic music, um, you know, even within Carnatic music, they have like healing, like, you know, certain ragas are to help with sleep. You know, I mean, they've gone to that extent of, what part of the brain gets can get vibrate at that frequency, you know? So I think that's a key difference. Uh, I think uh, our guys have taken the science, the rishis have taken the science to like much more subtle level uh, versus just, hey, you say something and it vibrates, you know? Makes sense, Muku. And VP, just going back to your question, right? When I read that sentence, what uh, Swamiji writes here, Okay, and especially the next sentence, right, after the word Brahmakarabhati, it says that, in short, repeated and constant thoughts of Brahman, vast and infinite, eternal and blissful, the substratum of the entire universe, is the yoga of the self. Okay, now, uh, one of the challenges that I have seen is when you sit down for meditation and, you know, uh, at that point of time, say that you are not this body and mind, but you are, let's say you're, you are equating yourself to this entire universe, okay? expanding your mind to include even the set, you know, even the known surroundings is really hard. Okay. And expanding the mind infinitely to the entire universe, known, unknown, you know, manifested, unmanifested. It's really, really hard uh, proposition, actually, to think about it. You, you try it sometimes, you know, it, it's a very interesting exercise. I'm not saying it is difficult. I'm saying it's a pretty interesting exercise where you can you know, sit in one place and, you know, just imagine your mind expanding and equating your mind to everything what you imagine. It's really, really hard, right? Like in a, in a ring of concentric circles, you keep expanding yourself. Mm -hmm. What happens is that... So then are you visualizing it that you are... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, how are you going about it? Are you visualizing? Are you visualizing it that you are in this room and then there is Brahman and then there is basically? Uh, I think there was a video right when somebody had posted where the person was lying in the grass and from there, you know, just from their mind, it keeps going up and up and up and 
beyond Earth and then beyond even this galaxy and whatnot. So is that how you're yeah. saying that? That's pretty much that's pretty much visualization But then when you visualize it, the the, the thought yeah. in your mind should be that uh, whatever is being whatever is being uh, whatever that you're visualizing or imagining is you. But that that thought is very hard. That's what I'm trying to say. So Rajesh, a quick question here. Because mm -hmm. um, another, maybe it's the same thing, maybe it's different. But one other way I, um, you know, uh, look at it is the world is in me in the sense that the world is experienced in my mind. Right? So when you are observing your mind, right? in meditation, that, that thought that actually, you know what, it is, it is experienced in the mind and I'm observing it. So, um, so could that be another way of looking at it in the sense that no matter what, right, no matter what, which is the surrounding or the, the body, then the surrounding or anything else is going to be experienced, is experienced in the mind. So uh, in, in that sense, it is the world is in me. And I'm different from that, right? Um, and I'm, I'm the observer of that. Um, uh, so could that be, because th th this is a thought that um, com comes to me, like th this is somehow what I end up um, observing uh, in my meditation. So um, instead of, like the expansion, I, uh, as you expand, but it's finally even that expanded state would, would be observed here in the mind. That is correct. Actually, what you say and what I said is actually the same. If you think about it, okay. uh, if you think about it, when yeah. when you sit down for meditation, look at your immediate surroundings. Where are you experiencing that in your immediate? It's yeah. experienced in your mind, yeah. because you know what is the table is here, the computer is here. You know, we think it is it exists, but it exists only because it's come through some sort of an impulse to a mind right. and it's registered in a mind. There's a certain solidification of that particular object or person or whatever. That's that's reflected in your mind, and then your mind creates the mental patterns, and then places in time and space, and then you know a lot of complex things happen. So it's the same thing, you know. Either you say you start from there, or you say I'm going to start from quote unquote the object which I'm used to at this point of time, yeah. and then I try to assimilate it back into my mind. Yeah, yeah. So a uh, couple of things there. I mean, I have uh, in seventeen. Um, sorry, I can barely read. Um, again, it's, it's related to uh, to to whom whom who is regulated and regulated regulated in eating and recreation, regulated in action and regulated in sleeping and waking. Right. So here I have a different one, other book that I was also referring to, which is by Parthasarathy. I think Krishna Krishna referred me to this. Anyway, so you. Um, it talks about um, three transactions. One is receipt of stimuli from the world through the organs of, uh, through the sense organs of perception. Receipt is one. Then the reaction happens in the mind, right? When the stimuli hits the sense organs, there is a certain reaction in the mind, ragadvesha. I think uh, uh, depending on what it is, we kind of go through a filter and the coloring happens. And then the response to that uh, through uh, the organs of action. So he talks about receipt, reaction, and response, right? So he equates this in this 
there's ahara, which is food, which is the in incoming stimuli. Vihara um, is uh, is uh, is um, translated as recreation or, or the reaction, and then karma is the action, which is the re in response to that, what action we do is the act, uh, is the karma, right? In this particular context, so the uh, he talks about having to, to regulate at all three levels: regulate the amount of input that comes in, regulate our reaction to that, which is you know, the stimuli is here, but how we react, right? And then regulate the action, which is when, uh, in what way we respond back, right? So if you look at it along these three lines as well, and then moderation in all three uh, would uh, is what is mentioned in 17, is one interpretation of that. And just in purpose, actually reading from another one, just so that we get different perspectives uh, and just uh, along with Swabidi's, um book as well, so. How how did how did he explain vihara? I did not I did not get it. Yeah. So a uh, receipt, reaction, and response. So receipt is in this case is uh, stimuli, and the recreation or uh, vihara is the recreation or the response in our mind, and the, which is related to the raga dvesha, right? Uh, how we um, how that response is generated in the mind, and then the third one is re the response. Okay. okay. Vihara is then the um, the reaction in the mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I would uh, I was just thinking as I was listening to you, Kishore. Uh, if we take it to uh, the next dimension, ahara, vihara, and karma, uh, and uh, if you think most of it is not real, then that forms the equation which uh, we have discussed about earlier: vidya, kam. Kama and karma. So uh, that that forms that cycle. That avidya is basically. We think that all of this is real, and and this <laughs> I'm digressing from the topic, not the meditation one, but going a bit beyond this. So avidya leads to uh, karma because we we are more engaged in uh, the external world through all the action and uh, we get mentally engaged uh, uh, with karma and then that, that leads to going out and becoming more rajasic or whatever. So uh, another equation that we're like, I, I could uh, see the three parts which uh, kind of not very similar to ahara, vihara, and karma, but yeah, I could extrapolate that from. Ashish, what you said reminded me of one thing. So I believe in ancient India, um, I do not know uh, which era. It looks like it probably it's uh, you know much before uh, uh, at least five thousand, five thousand, seven thousand years. I believe when people were uh, uh, quote unquote criminals, right? When they were uh, when they were punished, one of the punishments was that they will uh, they will take these two metal uh, you know circle kind of a thing, right? And you know uh, like you wear a pant like you wear a trouser, 
you know, they the people's the person's legs is put into that through two metal trousers thing kind of a thing, and that thing is chained up. Okay, and the hands are also chained up like that. So now imagine the guy is uh, the criminal is uh, you know is uh, is rendered immobile by uh, two metal clamps which go around his thighs. Okay, uh, and so there is a word for it apparently for that in in Sanskrit called drupada. Okay, drupada dru means two pada is uh, 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 feet. Okay, so I, I I still have to figure out you know what is the relationship between that word drupada and uh, draupadi's father drupada. But you know but uh, this word which comes saying that uh, uh, in in uh, in sandhya vandanam it says that. Uh, 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 there's a there's a shloka which says drupadadiva munchatu okay so basically what it says is that uh, i am i am like uh, i am like that criminal okay who's tied so tightly okay without any chance of escape uh, by two things kama and krodha okay so these two things are tying me to create this entire world and do whatever that needs to be done to satisfy my kama and krodha so the prayer is to say that Please help me get over this, okay, the Kama and Krodha. Therefore, I can understand who you truly are and who I am truly are. I found it very, very uh, powerful. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So if, if any of you is doing some research on the word Drupada, you know, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. So, um, in the context of 19, right? it's, a, it's a beautiful metaphor, obviously. Um, so the, the lamp in a windless place uh, and to describe uh, meditation, right? Or the state of meditation. So I just want to bring up uh, uh, the, the corresponding sutra from uh, Yoga Sutras that defines dhyana, right? So in Yoga Sutras, meditation is defined as follows. Tatra pratyayaika Again, my Sanskrit is really bad. Please bear with me. Tatra Pratyayika Tanata Dhyanam. So it's basically um, saying that Dhyana is that state where the contents of the mind are identical from one moment to the next. Okay. Contents of the mind are identical from one moment to the next. So, so that state is called meditation right so before this was dharna in the in the evolution right um dharna is concentration you're trying to go from many thoughts to one thought right and there's effort there's you're bringing it back bringing it back bringing it back to one thought but at some point the mind stays with that one thought with every so every other thought that comes in is the same right so to describe this it's not the, the, the key point is it's not completely thoughtless. It's the same thought getting repeated. So it feels like it's thoughtless. Okay, so the example used to explain the state is imagine hot viscous oil, right? Hot viscous oil and you pour it from a, uh, from a container uh, right at a height. Now that hot viscous oil when you look at it from, uh, from outside, it feels like there is actually a small rod, a transparent uh, a piece of plastic there, but it's actually pouring. It's actually uh, um, 
you're pouring it and a lot more, everything is different, but it feels like it's a solid piece, right? It's just uh, static, uh, but when you actually pour it, it's, uh, um, every single thing is different. So in the same, I mean, in the same way, there is thought after thought after thought, but the thought is the same. So it feels like there is, um, so that state is dhyana, right? So it's that state where the contents of the mind are identical from one moment to the next. Now, when, this could be that you have, um, there is a mantra being repeated. And at some point, mentally that is, the mind is repeating the same mantra without effort, without effort. So yeah, um, then you are in dhyana, right? So that's the definition given in the Yoga Sutras. So yet another really good metaphor, just like the metaphor in 19, which is um, the candle in a windless place. So the candle is burning with every uh, moment it is burning, but it feels like it is not because there is no movement, right? So that's the whole part, right? Yeah, actually, these two are very beautiful similes. I really liked it. And thanks for tying that uh, you know, oil simile here. Very nice. Tommy Peace says that too in, uh, in, in the lectures, if I'm not mistaken, this particular um, uh, simile. Um, yeah, it, 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 apparently, I'm, I'm just looking at it. This particular simile comes from um, Shiva Sutra. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at my notes here. Yeah. It's beautiful simile, actually. And one, one interesting thing I've noticed is that all the similes, what they what the scriptures use, are so commonplace examples. Commonplace, right? exactly. There's nothing exotic that you have to imagine or anything like that to get Correct. to a simile there. Correct. It's very simple observations. Correct. And, and there's one more here from my Yoga Sutra's notes. This is a metaphor uh, of a calm water of a lake. This is from Ramayana. Sage Valmiki says to disciple Bharadwaja, Bharadwaja, the water in the sacred place, Akardama, is pure and beautiful in the, just like the tranquil mind of a noble person. So that's another one from Ramayana, I believe. So, um, yeah. So the, the calm water, the um, candle, candle in the, without the wind, rather. Candle in the wind. <laughs> Candle in the Wind was a song by Bruce Springsteen, is it? No, uh, on Princess Diana by, uh, what's, what's his name? Oh, uh, okay, this guy. Um, Elton John. Elton John, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Actually, uh, VP, going back to your question about uh, Brahmakara Vritti, right? There's one thing which uh, um, I want to share with you. So, um, if you think about it today, you know, in normal cases, assuming that, you know, one has not uh, gone through this stuff of reading Gita and trying to say, okay, mind and body are different and all that stuff. You think about where one's center of attention lies about their definition of who they are. Okay. It is in that part, which is, which, they, which we call it as body and mind today. Right. But you, but you think about it, think about it this way. The body and mind is existing there because we are eating something which from the, you know, the rest of the world, rest of the world, and that somehow there's a process that's happening within our own body. And then it becomes us. And then we start associating with that. Somehow 
you know, the external, you know, apples and uh, grains and fruits and, you know, all that stuff that we've eaten somehow seems to have coalesced into this, this shape, okay, that we so intensely identify with, right? And then uh, it grows, but still we intensely identify with, with it. But then the point is, you know, it is no different what this, this body and mind is no different than the rest of the world. It's just that the shape is different. The constitution is different. And that's why we see each, uh, you know, every individual or a plant or a tree uh, or even an object as different because we see that differently coalesced in our own minds. And what we don't realize is that all of them are basically coming from the same constituents. When I say we don't realize, it's not theoretically realizing. Theoretically, we may realize, but we may not be able to we may not be able to associate our ego with those things because we don't think that they are part of me. Okay. Which is what meditation tries to break it. So when in meditation, when you start thinking about it, because you know what the reality is, the reality is this, but your mind is not trained to do it. Therefore, you switch the, switch the mind's way of thinking. Did it make sense or did I confuse you? No, no, I'm just thinking about it. You know, I mean, I get the concept of what you, we are trying to move towards, which is to change the reference point, right? Uh, like as Swami P says that uh, we are spiritual bodies, you know, having human experience. <laughs> and, and I think to, to even just understand that sentence and internalize it, I think it's a journey. Yes. I think the, uh, you know, so it, and I think unless the breakthrough happens, you are still stuck in this sort of BMI world. And you're constantly, and that's what I think what uh, Kishore was saying earlier is that the moment you start uh, taking a pause during your day, uh, or pauses rather, and you know start sort of taking a step back or a step away from your uh, mind and body, that's what I think sort of even in the waking world, aside from meditation, even in the waking world, it sort of starts to then, you know, uh, gives you that break to realize that it doesn't, it, you know, it's like uh, trying to just reinforce that idea over and over. And so it's obviously during meditation, you are trying to expand your mind or concentrate on one mantra or, or trying to basically uh, get away from all the thoughts. Um, but I'm just sort of sharing that because to me, it's also important that during the day you are constantly reminding yourself uh, that, you know, uh, there's no point stressing about this or that because ultimately nothing matters <laughs> in, in, the, in a grand scheme of things. Yeah. And that's where the whole idea of Brahman and oneness really makes a lot of sense because then, you know, you can just let it go, meaning you know that even whatever adversity you are facing or whatever roadblocks you are facing, it's just uh, it's just your product anyway. And and I think I find it very helpful. And I know I'm probably going away from the topic at hand, but I'm just saying that to to recognize the fact that whatever is happening is because of product in itself is a very uh, liberating idea, liberating thought. And, and it doesn't mean that you don't do what you have to do, but it just sort of gives you that sense that nothing is in your control and it has to happen this way. So sorry well I digress, but yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah.
VP, I, let me try to confuse uh, a bit more. And this is not mine. This is what I remember from uh, Swami SPG's commentary on uh, Vedanta Sara. So, uh, and uh, this is like talking about Vritti. So, uh, a normal Vritti is... Uh, uh basically uh what to to put it very simply it is what what you observe and how you comprehend it anything you see the example could be a ripple in the water and uh, uh then the second thing which happens is as you ob observe it uh you somehow comprehend through your first through your sense organs and then something happens in your mind uh, which makes you recognize it as uh, a ripple in the water uh, after a pebble is dropped. So uh, the act of observation is uh, uh, it, it's what something called as vritti vyapti that it has happened and you observed it and then uh, something happens inside you uh, and uh, if we relate it to uh, something uh, akin to what is biologically or physiologically happening, yeah, it, the sense organs observe it, eyes observe it, and then uh, the comprehension happens in the mind. Uh, so uh, uh, that in uh, Vedanta terms is called falavyapti, that yeah, you understood it or you comprehend it like that. Uh, so this vritti vyapti and phala vyapti is going on all the time as we are interacting with the external world. Uh, as in total contrast to this, and it is difficult to understand, uh, uh, and and this this could happen through practicing meditation or through bhakti or just may happen in some folks without even doing anything. Uh, so the Brahma Vritti is uh, they, in in that process this uh, Vritti Vyapti and Phala Vyapti Vritti Vyapti happens and it is kind of a the mind is not involved there it is. Uh, just turning it it is it is a kind of automatic turning inwards and uh, uh, and and it it cannot be done through the mind so mind is not involved initially to reach there probably he was saying that you need the mind but uh, then it's a comprehension that every everything is one or everything is myself and and there is no this two two processes happening there like something happening externally and uh, then the comprehension of it it, it is just comprehension and uh, that that is brahmakar vritti uh, so it is very different from the normal way uh, as human beings we comprehend through vritti vyapti and phala vyapti uh, i know it's it, it, difficult to understand but I just theoretically repeated from him uh, it could be making things more confusing 
but in in context of meditation here i think yeah that that brings your mind to a state that uh, you you basically are going beyond the mind then uh, at at some stage if you are lucky or if someone is lucky because uh, mind itself is not needed in reaching that brahmakar vritti and i i think yeah as rajesh was saying uh, vedantic meditation yeah that that constantly doing it that way may may also bring it uh, and uh, lastly he he was also talking about uh, uh, these two things are very similar uh, the nirvikar samadhi and brahmakar vritti so nirvikar samadhi is kind of uh, in a way the final state of meditation where you are focused on uh, uh, a one which which doesn't have any form or attributes uh, so nirvikar samadhi versus brahmakar vritti they 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 are very much similar uh, but but he said that in brahmakar vritti at when that comes in there there is there is no thought actually before that in the mind so basically the mind is not there whereas in nirvikar samadhi the last thoughts a person has is of sagun brahmana sagun brahman and then 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 this blankness happens uh, so yeah more confusion okay. sorry about that and you meant nirvikalp samadhi right rashish nirvikalp nirvikalp samadhi yeah it's it's not same as brahmakaruriti actually more confusion no i'm just i'm just still thinking so how does brahmakaruriti relates to sagun brahman it doesn't that's what that's where i got confused huh? it it so is it is similar things, right? it is similar uh but he was saying that it it it's not one and the same thing uh so uh, nirvikar samadhi is uh, is the last stage stage of meditation uh which which not many people reach actually the only uh, the accomplished ones reach uh it is when you are focused on the formless formless uh, brahman did you say nirvikalp right. samadhi is same as uh, brahmakar vritti nirvikalp or? yeah nirvikalp is the same it's, as brahmakar it's, it's not same it's not same it is different yes yeah. because the last thought in the mind there, there is a thought in the mind before you reach that stage and that that's usually of uh, sagun brahman whereas in uh, brahmakar vritti there is no thought when when you reach that stage you, you the mind is dead in a way so if you're saying nirvikalp samadhi is the last stage and there is a and in brahmakar vritti there's no thought at all right is that what you're saying ashish yeah because that 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 is a state you usually don't don't use your mind itself to reach it it just happens 
and uh, you cannot even explain it so it is more uh, confusing <laughs> and i am just repeating what i uh, remember and what i could figure out in my notes uh, actually ashish i thought it was the other way around yeah well what i understand and i could be also absolutely wrong yeah brahmakarvriti is just changing your grooves in your mind <coughs> and where you are trying to just focus on brahman to be the uh, focal point of your meditation and then as you progress further then comes the stage of uh, samikalpa uh samadhi and then ultimately is nirvikal um um sorry good brahman and then that maybe we are losing your audio so that's how at least i understood and that's why that's vritti train certain quote and quote groove says to show us oh it better now today my wifi has been very erratic uh is it better now yeah okay so what i was just saying is that what i was just saying is that to me vritti is more like how do you train your mind to focus on something uh else which you normally don't right and whereas that will train your mind to attain these uh, uh, states that you are talking about so good brahman and nirgun that's at least I, how i have uh, thought about it or at least that's what my understanding is of all this so vp uh, vritti is any any thought in the mind basically it's roughly translated as thoughts or movement in the mind so vritti yes it's a it's a it's a vritti uh, is nature actually if you translate literally vritti is nature right so the moment in the moment you say that uski uh, his vritti is like that right he's he's a he's got a uh, aggressive nature right so that's what vritti means literally in hindi uh, but in this context that's what i thought that it's just changing your mind's nature i mean that's sort of usually how i would uh, translate as to what the mother is not yeah okay i see in the context of sutras uh, and and in gita if i'm not mistaken vritti is is the thought or the mental modifications any thought yes okay and then we you know obviously um we we are uh honing in or narrowing it down to one vritti right in this case it's a mantra uh and then um if i'm not mistaken the way brahmakara vritti is talked about is at some point that elevates into that that one vritti could be that i uh, the aham brahmasmi or or equivalent and that eventually uh, the mind hones in on that right and then even that drops and then only the observer remains right right so you went from many to one and then that one became automatic you're no longer trying to uh, keep that vritti right so you went from dharna to dhyana um and then as that continues and evolves even that drops and then there's only the subject or the uh, the observer so there there is nothing that it's observing but it is uh with itself at that point 
and right, that's the samadhi state and kishor there's a very nice a very nice explanation what swami ji provides as to why that thing happens because um, you know if you look at if you take any go back to the example what uh, you know ashish and vp were talking about when 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 the thought comes into our mind avritti comes into the mind then the mind makes sense of the particular vritti and then it's associating with itself itself with that that's what happens okay but when you do meditation on a brahmakara vritti okay and at, at when that when that intense meditation happens and when when at that point of time that's the state what you described while doing brahmakara vritti meditation i'm just using the words uh, paraphrasing what you said you know automatically something happens the mind drops right yeah. but still that vritti remains that's what you say now how does it remain how does it remain that vritti remains that vritti is i am brahmasmi but basically then you just say i am the observer right that's it right how does it remain swami ji says a beautiful thing he says he says that a lamp you know hidden inside a pot when the pot is broken you don't need to light the lamp the lamp is already lit yeah okay yeah so he says what you're doing in the whole process is breaking the pot or i think going back to last week's uh, satsang it's like taking the sword and cutting cutting a rock you're not trying to cut the rock the rock is going to remain like a rock you're going to cut the sword break the sword yeah that's a good point yeah so just changing topics right one thing which struck me very very powerful in in uh, shloka uh, 17 i think shloka 17 is especially the second paragraph what uh, swami ji talks about right he says that when krishna wants to indicate the absolute necessity for moderation regarding sleep and wakefulness the phrases which he uses are very significant swapna is a term used for indicating that total conscious life of the ego's active experience in the world elsewhere in the upanishads also the entire life's experience have been classified under the state of sleep which is non apprehension of reality and the state of dream the misapprehension of reality okay wherein the waking state is also included that is the thing that i really really it, it was a big aha moment for me because you think about this the last phrase right the state of dream which is a misapprehension of reality which is when we are sleeping it's actually uh, we experience everything but it's actually a wrong experience i'm not say wrong it's a misapprehension of of the reality so we still feel all those emotions and all that when we are dreaming and but actually it's not real we know that when we wake up right the same thing is the waking state is also included that's the most important phrase for me in this whole thing right says so, you know right now whatever we are thinking we think it's a reality but that's also a state of dream that's a very powerful thing for me in this in this uh, shloka the other thing which is striking to me here if uh, and i am just guessing if alpna would have been here she she had drawn a uh, journey from 6.11 to 6.14 saying it it's from jitatmana to prashantatmana moving further if we go to 
So, Jitatmana is self-controlled. Yeah. Then, uh, Prashantatmana is, is uh, serene-minded. Yeah. Actually, then, I, uh, Prashantatmana, is, uh, since we are there, Prashantatmana, uh, I heard somewhere that we all know that uh, there is Shanti and Ashanti. We, we all know what it is. Shanti is peacefulness. Ashanti is, uh, and you can say, agitated state or something which is not uh, peaceful and uh, prashanti is something which goes beyond the two which is which is actually not the ultimate peacefulness it it goes be which is beyond peacefulness and unpeacefulness that is prashanti so this connection is pretty nice ashish thank you for this yeah, yeah. seems like three steps that we um right three steps towards in meditation and well not just in meditation actually the first one yeah the 23 and a half hours and then and the other half now thanks to alpana like it's alpana effect you can tell her next time <laughs> So I think, you know, maybe uh, one thing that I might want to suggest here is there is this, uh, we have, I have, I think we have shared this book. Uh, it's a small booklet by Swami Dayananda uh, Saraswati, which is, uh, uh, which is, which is, uh, which I think we shared it in, in our group earlier. It's a book called Japa. Okay. I think as we read this chapter, if you probably go back and read the particular uh, uh booklet is probably about 15 pages or something uh, that's it it's it's a very small booklet i think it's it'll it'll really really help us to understand some of these concepts what uh, the gita talks about here in this i can repost that if you want yeah please do that actually uh, rajesh that will be helpful yeah i'll do that 
Yeah. Um, one more thing related to this, right? I mean, through Mantra Japa, I mean, in the meditation book, Swamiji talks about, you know, in the early stages, it is okay if, if you want to chant uh, uh, loudly, right? Um, and then to move from chanting it aloud with sound to lip movement, and then finally mental, right? Where the, the, the chanting is meant. So if, um, if any of us having, a, having trouble with sticking to the mantra at the mental level, um, then it is okay to go back and do the, um, that's one, uh, to, to do a lip movement and then to chant it aloud if needed. Right? And, but then finally, with the intention of coming back to the mental, uh, um, uh, reciting it mentally. Right? The other one, it, this is from The Art of Contemplation as well, the, the book by Swami Chinmayananda, talks about, uh, it's actually a beautiful metaphor. He says in that book, and again, I highly recommend that book, um, says think about it this way, visualize it as in um, you're sitting, let's say, under a tree. And there is a beautiful temple, just uh, a small hill. And at the top of that hill is a temple, right? And then there are sta uh, stairs to uh, go up to the, to uh, to the temple. He says, in the, this is evening time. So he's visualizing and he's setting the stage so that you can, uh, so he says, yeah, this is evening time and our early morning time. People are coming in and they are going to the temple. They're walking up and you're sitting there under the tree and you're observing it. And at some point, uh, the, um, they're starting to chant inside the temple and you're hearing it, right? So think of it in the same way. Um, the, uh, the chant uh, that you are, the mantra chanting is basically, it's like you sitting there and listening to the chanting that's happening inside the temple, but, but you're sitting outside. In the same way, get your mind to chant, ask your mind to chant this particular mantra, whatever mantra you select, and you're sitting outside listening to it, right? And then he says, okay, when the mind wanders, give it, ask it to repeat it a little loudly, mentally loudly, if, if you know what I mean. So it's as if more people have joined the temple and now the sound is, is resounding, right? From the temple, a lot more people, a lot more crowd has come in and they're all chanting the same thing. So it's a lot more louder. Uh, so imagine that he's kind of comparing that, giving it a, something for us to tie it back to. So um, if the mind wanders, one technique is to ask it to, uh, uh, to repeat it with a lot more, uh, uh, repeat it loudly is, is what I meant, mentally. Um, and then it tends to stay, right? So uh, he talks about it in that art of contemplation. So I, 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 uh, that image stuck with me of sitting outside and listening to. So it also gives, uh, makes from the, the point being, you're, at some point it goes from you are repeating the mantra to you're asking the mind to repeat the mantra, right? So uh, that's the important, um, sorry, there's a call coming in. Uh, sorry. Um, so you are, you're asking, the, the mind is repeating the mantra and you're observing the mind repeating the mantra, right? And then at some point, you can see in meditation to turn around and see who you are, right? I mean, you're the observer of the mind that's repeating the mantra, right? So just like you're observing 
or um, uh, uh, listening to the chanting inside at the temple, but you're sitting outside, right? So he compares those two. Um, and so it reinforces the observer um, part of it, right? So I just wanted to mention that. It, it's a beautiful book. It's a small book, Art of Contemplation. He, he gives this example there. And it's interesting you say that uh, about the temple chant, because you think about it this way, the body is a temple. There is a, a, a deity within the, within, the, within the body. The temple has got nine gates through which you can go inside the body and then pray to that uh, deity. So I think it, it's a very beautiful analogy, actually. Interesting, yeah. In, in Sadhyavadhanam also, uh, actually, if you look at it, um, the I'm sorry, I'm getting back to Sandhyavadhanam, especially in this chapter uh, when we're talking about meditation because you know, I'm trying to connect so many dots with this chapter with Sandhyavadhanam technique. The technique itself is very, very simple. Okay, And uh, basically, but you cannot do the technique uh, without understanding the mantras very clearly. At least once we should have understood. And here is what, uh, uh, you know, when I... Uh, Got when I was trying to make the connections, here is what happened, right? So there's this you know medium which is used, water as a medium, to start purifying the body. Okay. And you know, and in multiple ways that it purifies, and different parts of the bodies are, are purified, right? You know, you say Keshavai Swaha, Narayan Swaha, Madhavai Swaha, and then you touch different parts of the bodies and then say, you know, these are purified and all that, right? And so the whole point is like, you know, the body is a temple and, um, you know, you have a shower and everything and then you come back and sit down for Sandhya Vandana. You still start uh, cleaning the body by using water as a medium. And then once you start cleaning it, you um, you assume that the body is cleaned and then that there's this deity within, within yourself and you meditate on the tone deity, actually, finally. And then what you're doing is you say that, okay, I am this Brahman, but this Brahman is sitting within this body. And why am I getting this body? Because of that Dupada concept that I talked about some time back. And how can I get rid of that Dupada concept? By chanting Gayatri Mantra, because Gayatri Mantra says nothing. Gayatri Mantra just says, the, give me that intelligence to break this Dupada. That's all it says. It's a full 360. In my view, you know, I uh, after having tried so many different techniques and everything, I think I'm, I'm now slowly aligning to Gayatri Mantra chanting now. <laughs> and of course, Om Namah Shivaya too. Yeah. All right. 7.28. Any last thoughts? Ajay, you've been silent. Uh, I think Kasubu is logging off. If you're speaking, you're on mute, Ajay. Uh, Ajay is also in some place which cannot speak or something on that. Okay. 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 Anybody else? Muku? Uday? Nothing for me. Okay. Cool. So next week, I think we should do... Uh, 26, I was just looking at the slogans. I think we should start with 20 next week 
and go up to uh, 25. Sounds good. So, so it's not 21 to 25, it's 20 to 25. Okay. For continuity's sake. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, conclude with our prayer. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramaya Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Makaschid Dukkha Bhagabhavet Om Shanti 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 Shri Guru Bhyonamaha Harihi Om Hariyom. Hariyom. All right. Thanks, everyone. Kishore, see you in Bye. the evening. Yes. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.